This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Chris Gunty, Associate Publisher and Editor of the Catholic Review, and with us today on Catholic Review Radio for a year-end tradition is Baltimore Archbishop William Laurie to look back at the year that's ending and then take a look at what's in store for 2024. Welcome to the show, Archbishop Laurie. Uh, thank you, Chris. Nice to be with you. This has been a historic year for the Archdiocese with some great accomplishments and some challenges, including for you personally. Your dear mother passed away in September at the age of 103. Uh, can you reflect a little bit on what her long life meant to you? Well, my mom was um, a wonderful, wonderful woman of faith. Um, she was truly a loving mother. And as we got older, uh, both with both my mom and my dad, um, we became friends, the best of friends. And they it's had nice a, when it worked that way. It really is, and we had a they had a long. Uh, and wonderful retirement, and I think back with such gratitude to um, uh, to the many hours we spent together and the, the joy we had uh, together. Um, and to the very end, Mom was um, a wonderful support and, and a loving mom. So Mom has really demonstrated for me what it means to have a lifetime of faithful love. And I'm so grateful to the Lord that I could be with her when she passed. Good. Well, I know that you asked folks who wish to donate in your mom's memory to contribute to the education of seminarians in the Archdiocese here. Why was that close to her heart? Uh, Mom um, always uh, supported priestly vocations, including the Your own. <laughs> my own, yours truly. And um, I think that this would have just pleased her very, very much to think that um, even in this moment of her life, she is um, helping a young man toward the priesthood. Mm -hmm. There was some good news on the vocations front this year. 14 permanent deacons uh, were ordained in September. Six transitional deacons who, God willing, will be ordained priests were ordained in May, and eight priests were ordained in June. Record numbers. We have a record, near record number of seminarians studying for the priesthood. To what do you, what do you attribute the swell in vocations? Uh, I attribute that to prayer. Uh, prayer is the first thing that, that one must do. If you want vocations, pray for vocations. Um, and there are many people praying for vocations all around the archdiocese, and I'm so grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, you have to ask and uh, invite and offer people the opportunity simply to consider the possibility that God might be calling them. Mm -hmm. um, thirdly, uh, Father Roth and Father Matt uh, are wonderful 
um, priest and they are working very hard for vocations all the time. And so many of my brother priests throughout the archdiocese are, are working for this. And then finally, and most importantly, you have to thank the families. Uh, vocations are nurtured in families. That's the first place where a vocation is to be nurtured. Mm -hmm. And uh, the many generous families um, who are happy to have a, a son um, enter the seminary or a daughter uh, consider religious life. And that's kind of changed over the years. For a while there were a lot of parents who were reluctant to do so because uh -huh. they might have had only one or two children and they want grandchildren and so there's there's always that concern but how do you how do you help families address that that's not absent even today i mean there are still parents who understandably are reluctant but if god is calling their son or daughter to a religious vocation to the diocesan priesthood or to religious life uh, and they begin to see that this is the right thing uh, for their son or daughter and they begin to see that there is happiness in this and fulfillment I think that changes the mind and opens the heart I've seen that happen so many times mm -hmm. in my experience uh, uh, as a priest and as a bishop. Mm -hmm. Archbishop Lurie, you were elected vice president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops last November. What have you been working on in that role? Um, um, among the things I've been working on has been the task force that produced the materials updating faithful citizenship, which is the document the bishops issue um, prior to a national election cycle. Mm -hmm. And that's been very rewarding. I've worked with uh, bishops uh, whose committees uh, touch on public policy. Um, we had uh, some very good meetings, extensive consultations, um, a lot of brainstorming, and I think uh, the results were pretty good. And was it some of those contentious discussions because of the, the division in the country these days? Or? No, they were not contentious. They were, um, they were healthy mm -hmm. discussions. And in fact, as I thought about um, the work of the task force and the discussions among the bishops, including in the small groups and in the larger group, I thought to myself, well, would that all segments of society could proceed with uh, such peacefulness and dialogue and understanding. Civil disagreement, as it were. Yeah, I mean, and also the, the listening to one another and uh, the documents changed a lot because of the discussions, changed for the better, mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. And um, there was not a partisan spirit in those discussions. Um, I think that's a pretty good model for how these discussions should be going, going on around the kitchen table, um, among friends and parishioners, and in the country at large. Mm -hmm. And what else did you work at as vice president? Um, I, 
I worked with uh, the president uh, on other duties as assigned, <laughs> but I think that what I'm what I see and uh, and uh, and am involved in is um, the work of the conference at a higher level. I get to see um, more uh, how the thing actually works. Whereas when you're chair of a committee, which I've done numbers of times, you are more conscious of how the, um, of, of just how your committee works and how it relates to the whole. And so um, I'm pretty impressed with the work of the conference and the very dedicated um, the people who carry forward its mission day by day. Mm-hmm. This year, Pope Francis issued Laudate Deum, which was an update to his encyclical on uh, climate change. What's the Archdiocese doing to address critical issues on the environment and care for our common home? Uh, so uh, we are doing a number of things that are responsive uh, to it. We've had some um, workshops on the issue. We are um, also um, trying simply to put it into practice mm-hmm. uh, by using solar energy wherever possible and, and by um, trying to make our buildings as green as possible. Uh, here my hat is off to folks like Nola McCoy and the Archdiocese who work with our parishes and schools to make them uh, sustainable as possible but also to uh, make sure that the message of Pope Francis is communicated in bite-sized, effective ways throughout the archdiocese. Because uh, I know from writing pastoral letters that uh, not a lot of people sit down and read a long pastoral letter, but they will read uh, short, bite-sized messages. And Mm -hmm. we're certainly trying to do that as well. And as you say, that kind of making it happen locally with solar energy, uh, rain drainage basins, those kinds of rain gardens, all of those kinds of things that are being done all around the archdiocese really make a difference. And there's so much that can be done at the parish level. There's so much volunteers can do. And also this is something we have to do in our individual homes, asking ourselves the question about uh, about consumption and about what happens uh, to things like the plastic bottles that we use, about recycling. There is a lot we can do. Also, you know, the um, excess uh, consumption of, of gasoline and, and all of that. There's a lot of things that one can do. Make one's home uh, a little tighter and more energy efficient. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is something that is not simply for the archdiocese to do institutionally. It's something we must also do personally. Well, I know that my wife rejoices every month when we get the the energy bill, and she says, look, we did better than last year in this month. So we 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 turned lights off. We did those kinds of things. So I, I, I know what you're saying there. Yeah, and using lights that don't consume much energy. There's so much we... We can, it's at our fingertips to do now. Also, um, supporting policies. 
Um, so definitely the Maryland Catholic Conference has um, um, intensified its advocacy for bills and policies that protect the environment in the state of Maryland as well. So there's a lot we can do by way of advocacy uh, with our own institutional response, our parish response and school response, but also at the personal level. And it all makes a difference. After the break, we're going to talk some more with Archbishop Lori about the year that just ended and his hopes for 2024. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. We are back on Catholic Review Radio, and we're looking at a uh, uh, little bit of 2023, but also looking at the year ahead with Archbishop William E. Laurie of Baltimore. Archbishop, we're in the midst of a multi-year Eucharistic revival project sponsored by the U.S. bishops that will include some special events. Uh, Eucharistic pilgrimage covering the Northeast will actually pass through here with the Archdiocese in early June before the National Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis in July. Why is this revival so important and how will the Archdiocese be involved in these events? It is very, very important, the Eucharistic revival. Um, in the Vatican Council following the ancient Christian writers tells us, and the scriptures themselves tell us, tells us to read the signs of the times. And one of the things that we read in the signs of the times is a waning Eucharistic faith. It's not simply a matter of not being able to give the right answer when asked about the real presence, part of it maybe, but it's more a real appreciation for what it means to gather as a Christian community to listen to Christ speaking through the scriptures, uh, to pray together for where two or three are gathered, the Lord is in our midst, and what it means to enter into the sacrifice, the one sacrifice that brings salvation to the world, and to receive the Lord's body and blood and be bound together by the Holy Spirit as one body, one spirit in Christ Jesus. Um, as mass attendance declines nationwide and, and it has declined here as well, um, we need a true revival of, of, of our Eucharistic faith. It's the source and summit of the church's life. It's the source from which everything we say and do and believe originates and it is 
the goal of everything we do must come back and be placed at the feet of the Eucharistic Lord. I regard the Eucharistic revival as providential, and uh, I hope it, it should be promoted at the parish level, and it should be promoted in a way that is truly evangelical, evangelizing. Mm -hmm. So this is not simply an effort to achieve correct doctrine, important as that is. This is all about evangelizing. Um, how beautiful that this procession will be coming um, down I-95 and make its way into the Premier Sea, um, beginning uh, coming in at Pennsylvania near Emmitsburg, and then coming in from Emmitsburg the Mother Seton Shrine, the Mount, the Grotto, over to the city of Baltimore, and really kind of down our main thoroughfares, our mm -hmm. two cathedrals. Um, this is an opportunity for us to bear witness to our belief in the Eucharistic Lord, uh, to do so very, very publicly, and to do so in a way that is inviting those whose Eucharistic faith has been harmed or has cooled to rediscover the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I hope that this will be a moment of intense grace, renewal, evangelization for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. You just mentioned those who are harmed and 2023 brought the state of Maryland passing a new law, the Child Victims Act, that removed the statute of limitations for civil suits regarding child sexual abuse. We can't talk about 23 without talking about this. So faced with a large number of expected suits, the Archdiocese filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy reorganization in late September. Why did you make that move and how's the process going so far? It was a difficult decision to decide to file for financial reorganization, better known as Chapter 11. Let's be clear, we're not liquidating, right. we are reorganizing. Um, but it was a difficult decision. But we recognize without any statutes of limitations for future um, events or for the harm that was done in the past, and it, it is a heinous thing, child abuse is heinous and terrible. But we recognize that there would likely be such a flood of lawsuits that we simply wouldn't be able to handle them financially, that those who would be in line first would receive compensation. Those farther back in line, there wouldn't be anything possible uh, to offer. And so we reached the decision that we would enter Chapter 11 because it's an orderly process. Um, it is a... Um, process that requires uh, collaboration um, with victims, with victim survivors. It is a process that, um, that everyone must agree upon. Mm -hmm. And as many victim survivors as possible can be equitably compensated. There's no compensation that's adequate, but at least um, it we will give as much as we can and as equitably as we can while still maintaining our mission. And that's the second reason 
um, this path was chosen is that this enables us to continue our mission uh, in our parishes, in our schools, in our charities, and the sustaining ministries of the Archdiocese itself. Mm -hmm. With all this going on in the world, strife, wars, division, violence in our communities, how do you encourage people and get them to harness their faith to help them process everything that's going on just to make the world a better place? It seems to me that um, we are going through a challenging time, certainly in the life of the church and certainly uh, in the world in which we live. Um, and there is a temptation to marginalize faith, to diminish its role in our lives and in our world. We need to do precisely the opposite. Um, when the church began in its earliest beginnings, it was persecuted. It was in the midst of the secular environment of its day, the Roman Empire. You know, they thought it was a religious environment, but it was really one that was, was based on gods that did not and do not exist. Um, we're more, it's more like being back in those days. And so it's, up for, uh, it's important for us to be intentional in our faith, to growing in holiness, growing in knowledge and love of the faith, growing in our relationship with the Lord, is not simply for our own personal benefit. Uh, it's so that we can bear a united witness to the truth and love and goodness of God and of Jesus Christ in the world today. And we can put that faith into practice, the faith which is all about binding up and healing wounds, serving those who are in need, um, and helping people to find in a time of darkness the light of Christ. And it is when it's darkest that the light glows the brightest. And that, I think, is both our challenge and our duty and our joy in these days. Yeah. So what is ahead for 2024 in the Archdiocese of Baltimore? I know you have a lot on your plate, so. Uh, we have a lot of um, very good things. We'll continue to work uh, for vocations, and um, that work is certainly ongoing. Um, our Catholic schools are flourishing, and we will continue to do this. We just brought a new chancellor aboard, Greg Farno, who came to us from Truist Bank, great leader, civic leader, a great uh, Catholic, a great um, uh, business leader in our community. Uh, we're really excited. Greg will begin uh, in the new year. Um, the Seek the City process is uh, well underway. Um, we are in the visioning phase right now. Uh, we will be moving toward the discernment phase uh, in the first of the year and then toward the implementation phase later on in the year. Um, this has been a truly, and will remain, a truly synodal process that has involved, I think, almost 4,000 people in the city of Baltimore and its environs. Uh, and 
um, continues to be a process in which um, we have people from all these various parishes collaborating, talking with one another in ways that we might not have thought possible just a short time ago. My hat is off to Bishop Bruce Lewandowski for doing this. We will certainly pursue the Chapter 11 process um, as vigorously uh, as we can. And um, I would just add one more thing. Um, as we enter the Chapter 11 process, this is not just about doing a response to the law. Mm -hmm. um, God works in all things. And I hope that as this year unfolds, we can see the Chapter 11 process as an invitation from the Lord to a deep spiritual renewal in the Archdiocese. And finally, uh, I hope that uh, the Eucharistic revival will, in this year ahead, prove to be a tremendous grace and boost for our Archdiocese. There, that is a lot going on. So will you give us a blessing for the new year as we go into this? I will be glad to, to do this, and I'd like to extend this blessing to all who are listening. I would hope that my blessing and prayer would reach the hearts of those who, for whatever reason, no longer practice the faith, and for those who are searching for a faith. I would hope that through the Holy Spirit, there would be across the length and breadth of this archdiocese a newfound openness to the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes to us anew at Christmas, and whom we expect the end of time. And may Almighty God's blessing come upon us, upon our families and loved ones, upon our colleagues, and our works of heart and hand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We have been wrapping up 2023 and looking ahead to the new year of 2024 with Archbishop William E. Laurie of Baltimore. Thank you so much for being with us today. Glad to do it, Chris. This is Chris Gunty, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. Remember the spirit of your parish community, the power of worshiping together, the warmth of friends new and old who share your faith. Join us for Mass this weekend. Visit archbelt.org to find a Catholic parish near you. Feel the joy. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.